Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Registration is open for the Spring 2020 session of the ADHD Essentials Online Parent Coaching Groups. This session will start Monday, March 16th, and will run every Monday and Wednesday for eight weeks. We'll have two sections, one at noon Eastern Standard Time, the other at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be discussing such topics as parenting as leadership, improving communication, fostering connection, managing anxiety, my wall of awful model, and we'll wrap it all up with a week about questions, both the ones you bring to the table, and ways to ask better ones in order to get better answers. As I mentioned, registration is already open. People are already signing up. I would love you to be among them. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups or email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com and let's schedule an information session today. And don't forget ADHD Essentials is part of the ADHD Rewired podcast network. So when you're done with this episode, go check out the work of Will Kerb with Hacking Your ADHD and, of course, Eric Tivers with ADHD Rewired. Both shows are excellent and will go a long way to helping you improve the management of your ADHD and your child's ADHD. And if you just want to dip your toe in the ADHD Essentials world, check out our Facebook community at facebook.com groups slash ADHD Essentials community. Sign up is easy, and I'd love to have you join us. Finally, the best way to support this show is by sharing it with others, either online or in person. So if you enjoy this episode, spread the love on your social media or share it around in person. And of course, don't forget to put up that five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's critical to helping others find this show so I can provide them with as much support and information as possible. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Jeff Copper. Jeff is an ADHD and attention coach and the founder of Dig Coaching. He's also the host of Attention Talk Radio and a father affected by ADHD. In today's episode, Jeff and I talk about emotional regulation through the lenses of mindset, lying, noticing successes, and the importance of manners. Throughout our conversation, Jeff shares words of wisdom he has learned from a lifetime of experience, from interviewing his guests on Attention Talk Radio, and of course, from his mom. All right, let's get rolling. I'm Jeff Copper. I call myself an ADHD and attention coach because I think an attention coach really reflects more of what I do. When you think about it, only you can witness what goes on inside your head. And uh, of course, people can't see what goes on inside my head. So as an individual, you really have nothing to compare it to. And so I coach attention and it's kind of uh, metaphorically, it's like I'm a blindfolded soccer coach. I can't see the, what's going on in the field, but I'm an expert at asking questions. And I work with people 
to figure out. And I've got lots of lenses and things that I use to help people see things that they wouldn't ordinarily see. But in that moment where we're going back and forth and they have an aha moment, all of a sudden they see something that they didn't see before, then we have a little bit of a success. So uh, as an attention coach, I specialize in, in helping people with ADHD. And uh, I excavate the aha daily, if you will, in trying to help people to move forward. What's central to my, I think, success in life and uh, myself as an ADHD coach is that when it comes down to managing uh, ADHD, it really comes down to your mindset, how your mind is set up to think. And in my personal experience, I've had some success in my life because I let go of doing it the way I was told and finally just started listening to my gut. And doing it my way. So, for example, uh, because of my dyslexic and learning disability challenges when I went off to college, I was a scholarship athlete, by the way, that actually got me into college because my grades wouldn't get me there. Well, my first class was uh, sociology of sport. I couldn't keep up with the reading. And the idea of doing a research paper was a little bit overwhelming. So uh, I let go of what I was supposed to do and started just reading the first line of each paragraph to kind of keep up with the reading. And when it came time to do a research paper, rather than go do the research, I interviewed a subject matter expert and just took their quotes and uh, footnoted those in my paper. And it's legal. It's a way of doing it. And so um, I'm telling that story because fast forward, I'm, I'm an ADHD and attention coach, but I'm also the host of Attention Talk Radio because when I got into this business, everybody said, you got to write a book or you got to do a blog. And Writing is agonizing for me. So I started uh, Attention Talk Radio, interviewing experts for over 10 years, got over 500 episodes out there. And um, that's an example of how I did it differently is rather than write a book or do a blog, I've been doing that for, for years as a means to have something to talk about. And that mindset has uh, really helped me over the years to do it my way. And I found a niche for what I've been doing. And I know you learn a lot when you're interviewing some experts in these, these types of things. The reason I'm saying all this stuff is I'm really all about uh, mindset and helping people look at things a little bit differently and come about things a little bit differently as a means to get to, to different solutions. So my radio show is all about excavating the aha or paying attention to attention. Uh, my business is that, and that's what I specialize in every day. And today I'm here to talk about a few things for parents to think about to help you with the mindset to kind of help you work with your kids. You've actually sent me on a, on a few different directions there. I do want to talk about self-regulation and that emotional regulation, but I also, before we go there, how do we ask effective questions? That seems like a solid parenting skill that I have not played with too much on the show. I do it as the host and I do it when I coach, but it's not something I've talked about a lot for the, for the listeners. Are you comfortable kind of sharing with us some basics of how to get, how to ask good questions so we get better answers from our kids? That goes back to mindset. As a parent, we like to control things. We like to understand things and we like to push things. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is if you want to get information or if you want to change how somebody pays attention to it, you really got five options. One is to tell them what to do. Two is they figure something out by accident. Another one is you share what you're doing and your success is kind of like you model something for them to see it. Another one is you observe somebody and you point out what they're doing right. And the last one is to ask very open-ended, very curious questions. That's an unnatural way of asking questions. And as a coach, you actually have to go through training to do that. And so the idea is if you begin to ask questions from curiosity and wonder, like, I'm curious, how is it serving you to play computer games this afternoon? Like, what's it doing for you? Uh, how's it serving you to text your friends? 
you're not saying why are you texting your friends, but you're asking asking the question for the the teen to kind of discover it on their own. Now, I'll grant you if you ask those questions to a 14 year old, you're probably going to I don't know. <laughs> but it's a seed that you plant over a period of time. And I, I'm a, I'm a parent myself and I want everybody to know I'm not holier than you. I, I made my own, I've, I've broken my own advice, but I will tell you this. Um, I've got two kids that are older and I remember my oldest is 24. And I remember the things that I was telling him through the years. And now as an adult, I'm starting to hear them again, like as he, he owns them. So these, these things, these seeds that I planted that I thought were just blown away with the wind <laughs> actually took root and grew. Um, but being patient and and asking curious questions in the moment probably won't get you the answer that you're looking for but long term you might be surprised at how they manifest so at the end of the day the answer to that question is ask questions not from a very direct but more of a question of curiosity mm -hmm. why are you doing that what's that doing for you i'm wondering you know this or i'm wondering that one of the things i noticed was that you used two specific question words in how and what and you kind of warned us away from why. And that's, that's something I do in my coaching groups. One of the weeks of my coaching groups for parents is we talk about questions. And in my coaching groups, I talk about how when we ask why, very often that puts the person on the defensive. Yep. Why did you do that? And now they're, they're defending. But how did you do that? Or what made you do that? Those how and what questions tend to get us a little further. What you want is you want to be on the same side of the table and have the issue on the other side of the table with your team. And so when you're, I'm wondering, it's changing that dynamic. You're still trying to get to the same place, but it's not as adversarial. And that, that why question and that, that threatening adversary, we're going to talk about that in a little bit when we get back to uh, regulation and as a parent, because again, sometimes you have to pause. Our instinct is to ask why, not I'm curious as to how that served you. That's awesome. And I, I also love the idea that, that we want to be on the same side of the table and have the problem be across from us as opposed to across from each other with the problem in the middle. Terry Maitland is an ADHD professional. I interviewed her years ago as a parent. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to me because when her kids were going through school, she would go in and on her IEPs, she demanded under no circumstances at all should homework ever come home ever come home with her kids and she demanded it and the reason that is she wanted to have a nurturing relationship with her kids she didn't want to have to come home and fight the homework battles mm -hmm. and she would say she would go in the school she could see them kind of coming but she kind of demanded it because she didn't want that to be the issue between her and her kids she wanted that to stay at the school now i'm not saying parents that you should actually go do that but that notion of when you've got a, a teen and you, you really want to be working with them and not against them and that's an extreme example of of really trying to be on their side and kind of connect with them in order to move forward. Because if you're not connected, then you're gonna have a real difficult time communicating. And that connection stuff is critical. I hate to I hate to circle back to my parent coaching groups again, but that's week two. Well, hang on a second. It's not, no, it's not circling back. We're just validating what you're doing is right. Yeah. So it's just good stuff. That so. too, that too. Yeah, the last week is always questions because I'm not gonna to get to everything. So I save questions yep. for the, the last theme of the week of the group so that it, I can fill in gaps too. Uh, but we also talk about how to ask them. And both connection and questioning, all of that is wrapped up in self-regulation. Yes. So I would love to hear your perspective on that, on what's going on there. I interviewed Dr. Russell Barkley the first time in 2011 and 2012. And back in those days, he was really advocating that ADHD is an issue of executive functioning, even though it doesn't show up as an impairment on executive functioning tests. 
And he went through a litany of stuff really kind of, we, we know executive functions in the prefrontal cortex and we know that ADHD there. So either it's an executive functioning issue for which we don't have a very good definition or the tests are wrong. So he embarked on trying to define executive functioning and there's a dog's breakfast of definitions out there. Anything goes, but one executive function is self-regulation and it's huge. And all the experts agree that self-regulation is one of the biggest executive functionings. And the definition of it is directing an action back on yourself to change your behavior, to change the future. And when you think about that, it's about person with ADHD pausing and thinking about what they're doing, using their thinking brain to override the primitive brain that just go do. And so in that context, ADHD is an issue of a self-regulation. You have to regulate your attention, but you also have to regulate your emotion. So yes, while it's not a diagnostic criteria now, and it was before 1970, emotional self-regulation is as much a part of ADHD as anything. So where I'm coming from as parents, when you're working with your kids, I like to put parents in the experience of their kids so they can witness how hard it is for their child or their teen. So when you are interacting with the team, because we have pressure, we have things that we want to get done. And in these moments, we get emotional and we react. Mm -hmm. And we have a tendency to react. And the challenge really is, is how do you not scream at your teen uh, like I did when my 14-year-old son was one day, he was, uh, he was a bit of a challenge. I found myself screaming, which all the books say you shouldn't do. How do you override that? That's an issue of self-regulation. And so if I can say to the parents out there, your child has an issue with self-regulation, both attention and emotion. And when you're not getting your way, you now have an issue of self-regulation. So you've got to put that oxygen mask on you first. And when I can help them see how hard it is for themselves they can have empathy for their person that they're dealing with and themselves because they've got to work on their side first. One of the things that I find, I don't know that fun is the right word, but that's the word I'm going to use. The most fun about self-regulation is when we have it, right? If someone in the situation has it, then they can often anchor everybody else, right? And kind of bring them to self-regulation. But if everyone in the interaction is lacking self-regulation, even if they're presenting as pretty calm and chill, but they're not actively self-regulating, then we're all going to fall to the level of the person with the least amount of self-regulation. So even as parents, when we're calm and chill and feeling pretty balanced, if we're not actively self-regulating our emotions and our kid is flying off the handle, we're more likely to fly off the handle and go with them to where they are as opposed to bringing them to where we are. Melissa Orlov has, she calls it symptom response response. So there's an ADHD symptom and then a parent, you have an emotional reaction to that symptom. And then the person with ADHD has an emotional reaction to you and it starts to spin out of control. And the issue is who's going to stop that and downregulate it. And so I'm really just repeating what you're saying in a different vernacular. But when you get into that symptom response response, as soon as you leave that symptom, now you're in emotional self-regulation going back and forth is kind of what we're talking about here yeah. for parents. So just to anchor that a little bit. Yeah, no, that's great. And and when it comes to who's going to who's going to end that cycle, to my perspective it's the parents' job because they're the ones with the power. Whoever has the power in that relationship and that dynamic, it's their job. Yep. So, um one of the things that I aha is a sudden comprehension that takes place when you pay attention to something differently and it's actually relatively uh short. So, I'd like to share a few ahas, but I want to go back to the main theme of this is mindset. Mm -hmm. 
how your mind is set up to think. And I want just to people to understand what a mindset is. A mindset is a belief system. It's our version of science or whatever. And all mindsets have anomalies that can't be explained that we just brush up as, off as acceptable levels. It's when those anomalies become so much that you can't ignore them. They throw your brain into crisis. And there's an intellectual battle that goes back and forth and back and forth because you're really kind of disproving the model or the way that you were thinking beforehand. And this, this crisis takes place over a period of time. And some people can ne never make that leap because they resist or uh, their livelihood relies on it. So let me just give you an example of that back in days of old, we thought that we were the center of the earth and Galileo said, no, we rotate around the sun. And he was basically thrown in jail. It took a, a generation before everybody said, hey, wait a second, we, we got to shift our way of thinking. We were actually not the center of the universe. So as I'm talking about these, I'm going to talk about give you the ahas and explain this, realize as a parent to step into this and live this every day, it's going to take you a while of practicing and making that adjustment. And I really want to do that because a lot of times people go, yeah, yeah, I've got that mindset, but it does take some time. It takes some practice. Earlier, you know, we were talking about asking questions to be curious and wondrous as opposed to putting the issue in the middle. Automatically, we have a tendency to put that issue in the middle. So to pause, and back up and implement some of these things that I'm talking about, realize it's gonna take you some effort because it's gonna require self-regulation. So we set the stage. Does that make some sense? You got any questions? Where my head's going is part of why that takes some time, and, and this has kind of been coming up as a theme as we've been talking, is there's sort of two tiers to mindset, right? There's intellectual mindset, like I know that this is a thing. And then there's that emotional mindset, which is I'm, emotionally aware of this and responding emotionally to it in in line with my cognitive perspective of it my intellectual perspective of it so if i know intellectually that i don't want to put the problem in between me and my kid i want me and my kid to look at the problem together that's a pretty can happen pretty quick but it might take me a while to emotionally stop putting the problem in between me and my kid and actually execute on what i know to do absolutely as I like to say is um, what we're going to talk about sounds really easy to do, but the execution of it's actually hard because it requires the self-regulation, which is the execution, what you want your kids to do the same thing. So again, we're kind of putting you in the same experience as your kid and having you regulate first. So the first thing that um, I learned, and a lot of this I learned from my mother, um, who was a second grade teacher, and this is a little bit of an aha, it's easy to say, but realizes that when, when you're dealing with your kid, the more that you lecture the kid, realize the more in control of the conversation they are because you're demonstrating your willingness to negotiate. Now, I want to pause here for a second because I want to put this in a, in a context. There are some times where you need to explain some things. A lot of what I'm doing is in that emotional self-regulation where the kid's upset and I found myself lecturing and lecturing and lecturing and lecturing. And again, if you begin to think about it, the more you drone on, the more you are willing to negotiate. If your kid goes, oh, I kind of get it, but you're, they're going to win the negotiation. And if you can just pause and realize that it's a tool, the aha is the more I'm talking, the more they're in control of this conversation, but I want to be in control. So I need to keep it short and sweet. I like the word lecture in there. And this, this might be me bringing my own subtext and I want to own that up front. But to me, lecture, particularly in the parent perspective, teacher perspective, it's a different animal. But yep. when, when parents are lecturing, often it's because they're caught up in that emotional turmoil. Yes. 
And so the kid got you there. And that's really yep. how they're in control of the situation is they kind of put you in that emotional response. You've given up some control because you're no longer balanced and regulated. Exactly. Exactly. As an aside, uh, Bex Taylor Kloss is the daughter of um, Elaine Taylor Kloss. I was interviewing her many years ago. And it's funny because it was the, the topic was what's it like to raise ADHD parents? Nice. And it was funny because she was out there supposedly talking to 17 year olds. And the deal was, is uh, everybody realizes that when you're dealing with your parents, you're never going to get the last word in. Mm -hmm. Never going to get the last word, which was profound. And it was funny because when the interview was over, I got a phone call because she got the last word in on me. Um, she sneaked it in kind of at the end. But that kind of goes back to that thing as the parents, you know, we always have to get the last word in because we're always in control. And again, this is just a little aha for you to keep in the back of your mind so that when you're into those moments, you can go, oh, to kind of help you pause and self-regulate and go, oh my God, my kid's in control. I need to stop lecturing. Yeah, and also to maybe let them get the last word sometimes. Yep, absolutely. Um, another one I have is, because um, you always have to stop and think about this, is never tell your kids or their teens what they are not supposed to do. Because if you do, kids are really smart. They're gonna find a loophole. and so. It's easy to say, don't do this, don't do that, don't run down the hall, whatever. But if you say don't run down the hall, they can skip, they can hop, they can crawl, they can do all kinds of stuff. Because when you're doing that, you actually have to stop and think about, okay, what is it you're supposed to do in totality? That takes a moment to pause and actually ponder and think about things in a bigger context. Another little thing to think about, don't tell them what they're not supposed to do, but tell them what they are to do as a means to kind of help self-regulate. Thoughts on that? You went in a different direction than I ordinarily expect with this particular one. And, and this comes from my history as a teacher. When kids are running down the hall, right? Teachers say walk. They used to say don't run, but at 10 years, 15 years of retraining teachers, now it's, it's walk. And the reason for that is cognitive. Because if you say don't run, the kid has to process the negative. And depending on how old they are, that's not easy. It's not easy to turn run into don't run. It's easier to hear walk and then walk. So oftentimes kids will, if we say don't whatever, the thing that we're telling them not to do is what they're thinking about because we just use that word. So don't run. Now they're thinking about running, which they happen to be doing anyway. <laughs> and they're like, oh, good. Oh, wait, no, I think they said don't. I don't remember. And they're halfway down the hall still running. But walk is much more clear cut. But I like this loophole element that you're adding to it where they can skip, they can hop, they could crawl, they could crab walk. Like it's no longer the binary. And we so often think about things as binary, right? Like you're either walking or you're running. There's nothing else you could possibly do besides walk and run. But especially ADHD kids, they're going to think outside those lines. They're going to come up with something else. That's like double dog dare me to find something else I can do. Like, yeah, I'm on that one. <laughs> yeah. And if the kid is also oppositional, they're going to really be excited by the idea of finding something else to do. So, so that idea of pointing them in the, in the direction of the behavior that you want by saying walk, for example, is really powerful. And, and for some parents, it might be a thing they need to retrain is how do I, how do I avoid saying don't? How do I avoid saying not? How do I keep things in the positive realm? I always tell the people that I'm working with when I'm getting done and we start to learn what works for them, which might be a little bit unorthodox before they go out into the world. I always say, always remember that society is going to bully you to do it their way because it's convenient for them. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason I'm saying this is you said something that was really good a second ago. When the kid's having to process the negative, they're having to do the work now. What I'm saying is before you say don't do that, parent, you need to do the work. Don't push the work off on the kid. Yeah. Because it's easy for you from a self-regulation perspective to say, don't do this. You go think your way through this. Now I've got to stop and self-regulate. I've got to do the work to make it easy for the kid. So again, we're self-regulating here. But again, the, the point is work has to be done. Question is, who's going to do it? Society always pushes it off on the kid. Like in a school setting, Sydney Zintal interviewed years ago. She was an educator. She said, if you're going to teach a kid with ADHD, it's not the kid picked his nose. I mean, you got to be dramatic. The kid stuck his finger up to the third knuckle and pulled out some snot that had this rainbow effect. The more dramatic you make it, the more they get into it. That requires a lot of work in order to make it kind of dramatic. If you make it boring, then the kid with ADHD has got to do the work. So again, just this moment is realizes that somebody's got to do some work on the front side or on the back side. And all too often we require the kid or the person with ADHD to do the work. So going back to your point, which I really wanted to emphasize and highlight was that processing thing that you said. If you're expecting the ADHD kid to process, it's difficult. Parent, stop, pause, think about what's going on, tell them what they are to do, don't give them a loophole. Yeah, and as a guy who is an expert in this stuff, right? <laughs> I still say to my kids, well, I, we don't want to be doing that, or I don't want you doing that, or you shouldn't do that, or whatever. And there's that not, right? The unt part of all of yep. those contractions I just used. So I don't want parents to feel like they can't get caught in the quagmire. Like, absolutely, there's going to be time when you're going to say not. You're going to say, don't do that. But when you do, just pivot, right? That, that's what I do. If I say to my kids, they've been talking about recess lately and how they go out to recess, and the two of them just talk to each other about the books they're reading. I'm like, you're outside, not running around. You're just wandering and talking to only each other who you see every day at home anyway <laughs> about books. Like, go run, be physical, be active, talk to other kids so that you're fostering those social relationships. I'm like, oh, my God. And we went into that conversation, and I had that emotional response of all of those thoughts I just shared. Like, ah, my kids are doing recess wrong, which that's not a thing that happens. You can't do recess wrong. It's a time to relax. It's a time to unwind during the middle of the day at school. But I said to them, yeah, guys, I don't want you just talking to each other. And they said, well, it's the only time we get to see each other because we're not in the same classes. And I'm like, okay, still, can you, and then I start naming positive stuff, right? Like, yep. can you go check in with Caden? Is there a Foursquare game somewhere? I know you enjoy that. Could you go join up with I don't know, the Frisbee game. Like I'm sort of coming, trying to come up with other ideas. Not yep. that they shouldn't talk to each other, but can you talk to each other for 10 minutes and then go do something else? And so if you start off talking to your kid and they say something that kind of gets you dysregulated for a minute, because it happens to everybody, and you're finding yourself saying, don't do that. Hopefully this, this episode helps you hear that don't, and that's a cue that you need to get yourself self-regulated. You need to bring that self-regulation in and then pivot to offering up things that they can do and what you would like to see them do. Absolutely. And I, I, I just love what you just said, because the other, another thing is you have to admit when something is hard. Yep. If you don't admit something is hard, you, you're not giving it the respect and the attention that it deserves. So what you were just saying is when you hear that nod or whatever, it's hard parents to catch yourself and do this. It's very, very difficult. We can go back and talk about this today and it's going to sound really really good but when you get out there and you implement this i'm telling you this mindset this stuff you got to stop it 
it's really, really hard. But also realize it's really, really hard for these kids with ADHD. They're having to do this the same thing. So we're, again, I just want to emphasize this is not easy stuff because you got to stop, you got to pause, you got to think about what you're doing and don't expect this to come to you overnight. It's going to take a little bit of time and a little bit of practice, but this is what really can help you. And these hard things are worth doing too, yes. right? Like that's part of why they deserve the respect of being hard is because they're also worth doing. Yep. If it's not worth doing and it's hard, don't do it. Like that's not a thing that you should do. But in this case, we're raising kids and we want them to be as successful as possible. So adjusting our parenting style a little, a little bit to help them meet with more success is completely a worthwhile strategy and a worthwhile endeavor. Absolutely. So let's amp this up a little bit. So remember kids with ADHD, they have an issue of self-regulation and often they're not even thinking about their automatic brain is talking like, Brandon, I know I've walked up to people before and they said, you know, hi, how are you doing? I go, I'm fine. How are you? And then they go, hi, how are you doing again? They already said it the first time. I've done that. It's automated language. They really don't mean it. And so kids with ADHD sometimes will blurt some things out. It's an automatic response. They're really not stopping and thinking about what they're doing. But all too often we can get upset with them and then begin to say, you are lying to me. Yeah, because so often that automatic language is a denial of something. Yes. And it could be automatic. It could be they're not thinking. They could actually be lying. But by, by putting pressure and I, I outlining that somebody's lying to you doesn't help. So the issue really is, as a parent, never catch your kid in a lie. Never confront them. It's not going to do anything for the relationship. You want to ask, why are they texting in the middle of the night as opposed to, are you texting in the middle of the night? Because mm -hmm. if you say you are, then they have to lie to you. And sitting there and saying, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying, that long term, that's not going to do anything because you're putting that in and you're, you're creating an issue of trust or not trust, which is not going to do anything for the relationship. You want to stay connected. So you don't want to catch them in a lie. You don't want to accuse them of lying, which is what we instinctively do. You just want to say, you know, why are you texting in the middle of the night? Or how is it serving you to text in the middle of the night as opposed to were you? Because it, it's just very adversarial. So thoughts on that? This is also a respect thing too, right? Like yes. if I'm out to just catch my kid in a lie because I know they're texting at night, I've already seen the texts. And now I'm like wasting time sort of ask, trying to build this case and ask them questions like I'm some sort of police detective to try to get them to admit that they were texting in the middle of the night. It's just not worthwhile. Like I already know, I've already seen it. And I can give them the opportunity to come clean if I want to, but I don't need to do it in a way that is detective -y, right? I can, I can certainly say, have you been texting at night like yep. when you shouldn't be? And they might say no. And if they say no, I don't need to then try to catch them in that lie. The, the phrase I like to use is, are you sure? Because that seems unlikely. It's a gentler way of saying that I, I'm pretty sure you're lying to me. But it also gives them the opportunity to change what they've said, right? I'm like, are you sure? Because I'm not so sure. I'm, I don't know what to do with that. It seems unlikely. And that respect realm, right? That sort of coming to our kids with an assumption that I respect them and they respect me allows us to maintain that respect within the family and that connection within the family, which we've already brought up a little bit in the course of this conversation. As the respect starts to dwindle, we lose connection. Absolutely. The fact is, your kids are going to be 
pushing you away at some point as they grow up. They're supposed to. It's developmentally appropriate. And if you take that push away and that effort to find independence as disrespect, as opposed to a completely normal developmental phase and strategy, then it's going to become disrespect. But if you just treat it as, oh yeah, of course they're texting at night, and of course they're saying no, because duh, I would have said the same thing when I was 15. Let me allow them to exit this particular quagmire gently. Then you're going to maintain that connection. You're going to maintain that respect, that mutual respect, and be better off. Absolutely. The fun part of that, this, Brandon, is we're talking about this in the context of self-regulation and having to pause and think about what's going on. And I know this is an audio, but I have the fortune, I get to see you while you're doing this. And I'm everybody, I'm watching him stop and think about what he's saying right now. This is very effortful for, for Brandon. And this is the same thing with you. The reason I'm highlighting this is like, oh my God, I got to stop and think about what's going on. I got to put some effort into, yes, self-regulation is exceptionally effortful. Not, not just on the down-regulating the emotions, but actually to change and think of the words that's kind of going on. And the funny part is I'm getting to see you kind of doing that, what's going on. And I'm sharing this with the parents because if your head's about ready to explode right now, I want you to know that's, that's normal. It's a part of self-regulation. It's a part of shift the mindset, which is why we're, we're on this, this thing. And I know from what you've said in your parent groups and stuff, like you're really teaching this all along. If it was easy, you wouldn't be here having, listening to this and you, they wouldn't be, you wouldn't be working with these people. So again, I just want to normalize this. If you're feeling some anxiety, then it's normal. You're getting what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. It's supposed to be. And, and yep. I mean, I've been doing this for, I, if you count when I was teaching, I've been doing this for, I don't know, 15 years now, maybe longer. And, and it's still like, I want to make sure I'm picking some of my, my effort here is making sure I'm picking the right words to illustrate yep. my points as accurately as I can. But also, and this, this is part of what's making this particular interview fun for me is I'm interviewing an interviewer. <laughs> and you're interviewing me back, which is not what usually happens when I <laughs> when I do a podcast interview. Usually people are along for the ride and not trying to steer the ship, but we're both kind of steering the ship here, which I'm yep. enjoying. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, but it's also making for a different sort of interview than, than I ordinarily do. That might be yep. playing a role in my thought process here a little bit as well. But oh, I think it's fun. And, and this is, I think, a really useful, powerful interview for my for my listeners, Excellent. they may Excellent. need to listen to it six or seven times, but, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, everybody, I'm, I can drone on about these all day long. The point that I, if you'll notice is the ahas is that when you lecture a lot, the kids in control, if you say, don't do this, there's a loophole, um, acknowledge what's hard, not catch them in the lie. The last one I really want to talk about is to kind of end on a little bit more of a positive note. And as a, as a parent or anybody, we have a tendency to look for the deficit what you're not doing. The trick really is, is looking for the positive. And sometimes it's difficult as a parent to be able to do that. And so it, it happens all the time. But if you can begin to say, hey, you made it out of the house on time. I'm curious, what enabled you to do it? So you're looking for the successes. Like literally, they got, you got out of the house on time. Like I'm not waiting for you. I'm kind of curious what enabled you to do it? Now, and let me back up for a second. One of the things I do with my clients sometimes is you can shift attention, but then you have a shift of attitude, which are two different types of things. Gratitude journals are things that I sometimes have adults do sometimes to actually pay attention to what's good in their world or what's working. And when I do that the first time, they really have a hard time with it. And I go, it could be as simple as, oh man, I bit into that strawberry. I was really, really grateful for it. And we practice 
looking for what's going right in a day and people struggle with that because they're not used to looking for it. There's a gazillion things that could happen in a day, but you have to practice looking for it. So going back to where we are is to start watching your kid and said, wow, your backpack is organized today. Or uh, you put that thing together. Just look for these things. Wow, you brushed your teeth tonight. What enabled you to do that? You're asking that question, as we talked about earlier, and the how does it serve you, but you're trying to find things that went right, and you're asking the question, what enabled you to do it? Not what'd you do, whatever. When you say what enabled you, it's a very open-ended question. You're not going to get a response from a 13 or 14-year-old when you get that question. However, you're modeling you did something right, and you got them thinking. You can take that a little bit further and like, wow, you did really well on that test, and you were studying yesterday with a friend. Wow, you did really well on that test and you were studying with a friend. You're just, you're observing good things and you're tying maybe things to that to get them to think about. And it, again, from a self-regulation perspective, we want to get off the what you're doing wrong, look at what they're doing right and ask curious questions around them. Not that you did that right, but I wonder what enables you to do that right. So you're acknowledged that good thing, but now you're getting them to think about, wow, what did I do? And again, they won't be able to answer that question, but over a period of time, when they turn 24, you might hear, oh my God, I'm like this. So anyway, your thoughts on that? When it comes to saying, hey, you did really well on that, what enabled you to do really well on that? Knowing that my kids are not going to be able to answer that question or expecting, let me withdraw and rephrase, yeah, expecting that my kids are not going to be able to answer that question, I'll usually give it a little bit of wait time, right? I'm just going to shut up and let them process and see what happens for a minute or two. And if they've got nothing, if they're still stuck, I'm going to throw out some things, right? Some stuff that I suspect might be why they did well on that test and some stuff that's completely ridiculous as to why they might've done well on that test just to get their brains going. So I might say something like, what do you think helped you do well on that test? And then I wait, nothing's coming. So I'm like, do you think it was because you had Raisin Bran that morning? And they're like, no, I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, what about, I noticed you studied with your brother a little bit. Might that have been why and maybe they always do that so you can be like no i always study with my brother or whatever right like help me out like what what probably played a role in that was it sleep was it studying was it what you yep. ate and now now that i've thrown out a couple of places from the start they can go a little deeper and if that doesn't work i'm going to pin things onto that next to help scaffold them up to where i need them to be absolutely so you said something a second ago that I want to, I want to circle back. I, yeah. I, I don't remember who said it, but you said the word expectations. Yeah. This is when he and, counter um, interviews me. That's what's going on right now. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because it's some, somewhere down long, I heard um, expectations are actually predetermined resentments. Think about that. When you have an expectation, maybe that's too high and that that's not, you haven't really calibrated. Like, is this person really capable of doing this? You're, you're, you're basically going to resent it later. And so, this is another issue of self-regulation is sometimes to pause and think about what expectations are because with people with ADHD, we know sometimes we have to lower those expectations and that's an emotional self-regulation on your side, not their side. So for you to adjust, pause, think about those expectations and lower those, it's an emotional thing for the parent. Again, it goes back to self-regulation. So I just want to throw that in there because expectations, there's a lot that's set out there with regard to ADHD and it's really important you can have an expectation your kid's going to go to college. You know, you can make over $100,000 these days in some trades. There's a shortage of some of that stuff. And so anyway, I just I wanted to throw that in because it's, 
it's a little bit further away from the generalization, but it is really emotional self-regulation and actually to pause and think about what those expectations are. That expectation thing, even that word might not be right for me because it's more of a guess, right? Like, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but to me, an expectation is something that you're a little more married to, like you're a little more committed to an expectation than you are to a guess. Like a guess can be wrong and you don't really care. An expectation, if it's wrong, it's a disappointment. Yes. More often than not, I'm guessing when I, with anything, right? Partially because I have ADHD and I've screwed up so many things and so many times and I'm like, I just don't know what's going to happen. Like, who knows? Um, but also I want to, I want to poke back a little bit. I want to push back a little bit on the, on the lowering expectations because that can also go wrong. If our kid is, oh, but he's just going to misbehave right? Like that's a lowering of expectation to the point where it's in the negative realm of expectations. That's not useful either. If we're going to lower expectations, we still want the expectation to be positive. So a lot of times we say things and there's what I call situational variability. Like, and there's some situations you want to do it, not, and we can, we can dice this kind of all over the place, but I, for whatever reason, I'm going to throw this out there because I, I, I had this brainstorm of an idea one time and I called up Ari Tuckman and we did a radio interview on, on manners mm-hmm. as being a self-regulation exercise. In other words, we have kids that have ADHD. The idea is you want to teach them manners, not for them to have the manners, but if you'll notice, to exercise manners is you have to self-regulate. So if you're going to wait for everybody before you sit down, or you're going to open the door and let somebody go through, or you're not going to eat until everybody's meal served, it requires somebody with ADHD to pause and not automatically jump into it. In that situation, parents a lot of times have expectation that the kids are going to have the manners. But if you change the way you're looking at it and say, listen, this is not about manners. It's like shooting free throws. It's an exercise. It's an attention exercise that we're going to do every day to build the skill to be able to pause and self-regulate, you've changed the context of that a little bit. And in the context of expectations is, I would like my kids to do this, that sometimes you need to give them more space and more time in order for that to happen. So I know there was a lot in that little thing about manners. I'm sharing that because it is a kind of a self-regulation exercise that you can use, not just develop manners, but actually help your kids learn how to pause. And the expectation is they're just going to get better at it, maybe not 100%. That marries really well with a perspective I've recently started to have on manners, which is that manners exist for when stuff goes wrong. If I'm talking to my boss on a normal day, unless he's a huge jerk, I probably don't need to call him sir. But if I mess up and I'm being corrected on that mistake, a well-timed sir is going to (laughs) help. But related to that, if I'm getting corrected or reprimanded at work and I drop out that well-timed sir, that's me executing self-regulation. That, because just to say that requires some level of self-regulation. Absolutely. That's in there as well. Like manners are there to help us self-regulate when it's really hard to self-regulate because we've been trained to this yep. automaticity of proper behavior. You're trying to engage the thinking brain to override that automatic brain. And so in our journey today, the idea was to illuminate to everybody that managing ADHD is really about how your mind is set up to think. And to shift how your mind is set up to think takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. And I think a lot of parents can benefit from this. What I hope today is we shared a couple ahas that you can keep in the back of your mind as anchors 
as things to fall back on come froms. When you're in that moment, oh, no, no, I need to stop lecturing because I'm putting them in control so that you can develop this skill over a period of time. Because at the end of the day, if I got you today to recognize that you have to self-regulate and you feel like this is a challenge for you, you are now living the experience of your ADHD kid. And the two of you both have to work at self-regulation, but you've got to put your gas mask on first. And if you can begin to do this, you'll also be able to get a little bit of empathy along here and realize how hard it is for some of these kids to do that. And I think with that empathy is a safer space for you to connect with your kid, which is what you really advocate in the beginning. So at the end of the day, these are tools for you to shift your mindset to get that connection so that you can manage so that hopefully when they show up at 24, you'll start to hear these good things. <laughs> right. Awesome. Um, and just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? The, the only thing that um, I really want to share is that if you're a parent and you're listening to this, this is evidence that you are a good parent. You are doing the best that you can. This isn't easy. It requires lots of patience and it's, it's stressing you out. But if you're here listening to this, and if you're partaking of a brand and stuff and you're a fan, this is evidence that you are doing the best you can and you need to pause and recognize yourself for that. We're not all perfect. These kids don't come out with manuals, but again, you are here. You're a good parent. Don't let anybody tell you anything otherwise. And I'm not going to discount this. This is hard. What we talked about, the execution of what we talked about today is not easy, but hopefully we give you some hope in this process. But again, just want everybody to know that by here, you're a good parent and congratulations. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.